Welcome to the Forecheck Podcast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Forecheck Podcast. A couple of huge guests in here today. Um, some local legends around the Shore Park and Yegg area. But first, we're going to start with a friendly reminder to everyone. As we do every week, guys, ladies, if you're starting a new business and you don't really know where to go, what to do, who to talk to, go speak to the guys at Jackson Labs. Get your brand moving. They're going to guide you in the right direction, and they're just going to get things going in the way that you feel that they should, and they will. So go check out Jackson Labs at jxonlabs.com. That's Jackson Labs. All right, we're in the lab today with some big guests in my eyes, some um, some people that made an impact in my life. But first, we're going to start with the man who was my first, not my first, but my former head professional, swing coach, life coach, someone titled around the area that really needs no introduction, Mr. Big Al, Alan Elgy. What's Woo! happening? CP, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. We uh, long awaited, kind of like one of the white whales that we needed to get into the ah, into the lab. <laughs> Everybody needs to chase down the the big guests. And to the man beside him, his mentor, a f- the former professional head professional of Belvedere before Big Al. That's Someone right. that has a huge impact as well in the Edmonton area, Mr. Gary Meyer. God, yeah, listen to that. Well, another sitting ovation. It's certainly nice to be here. Um, I was going to stand up. Yeah. Al, uh, yeah, you were a white whale back when you were in Australia. <clears throat> a number of kids tried to roll you back into the ocean. <laughs> low blows, low blows. But uh, we can move forward that. And to the left of me, we got Tombo. What's happening, brother? Not too much, brother. Excited to be here with a couple Belvedere legends, my Absolutely. friend. Like, this is good. This is connected, you and me, right? <clears throat> like, we were young, playing golf with Belve, and it's Home nice track. to see this little alignment here for the podcast listeners. Absolutely. Bring it back to, to the first steps of uh, learning how to become a professional and how to become a player. And the last guest, or not guest, last host... Cody's over in the corner working the camera for the boys. Hey, guys. What up? What up? Short We're just going to dive right into this for uh, since Cody's doing some work here. But um, like we said, we have some Belvedere legends in here. Um, I can speak for myself, obviously working under Al, learning how to become a professional, not on the golf, not just on the golf course, but as well as off. And just kind of learning how to figure out your way in an industry that at the time was for a kid was extremely interesting and difficult at times but Al obviously took the reins on that and made sure that everybody knew their role and knew how to perform in the right way and obviously he learned that from the man to the left of him Mr. Jerry Meyer. well I was uh, you know what and let's go back a little bit uh I mean uh, the Belvedere Golf and Country Club opened 1963. The golf course was, they started to build it in about 1959. But uh, I spent most of my time here in Sherwood Park. I worked at, uh, at the Broadmoor Golf Course. I started there when I was eight years old, golf professional by the name of Trigwen. 
who ended up going on from there uh, to BC, and then Ken Matson replaced him. Kenny Matson. And uh, so I learned from two consummate professionals. Both of them were were true gentlemen. Uh, they had a passion for uh, the game, for the sport, and you were a professional. There was no such thing as being a pro back in those days. A pro was a woman who made her living standing on the street corner. Mm-hmm. So he, he referred to you as a professional. Uh, a doctor's a professional person. A lawyer's a professional person. When you need expert advice, you go to a professional, and that's the industry that we were in. Yeah, totally. And uh, so I was fortunate enough to, to go from there to Belvedere in 1976. And uh, I think they Fuck just, your old. I know. They just <laughs> came out with grass just after after 76, real grass, and because uh, we'd been playing on, on the dirt. But... Um, going back to those days, that's, those were full days. You, I mean, you, you went to the golf course first thing in the morning and you went home when it was dark and you repeated it day after day after day. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the industry and, and the world has changed so much now because you've got so many options out there and where you had a vested interest in the golf course, you don't anymore mm-hmm. because back then you had, uh, when I went to Belvedere, I had the power carts, I had the rentals. I had the shop, I had the lessons, uh, the range, the driving range, all of that. So, I mean, you needed all those avenues of, uh, of revenue to, to make it go. Mm-hmm. And as time changed, then the golf courses needed that revenue to make it go. And so then the salary jobs came up. But when the salary jobs came up, so did the shorter time frame that they were working. When Al went in, it was still an owner-operator kind of thing, and you had a vested interest in there, and you had to bust your ass because you were, you know, you were trying to take care of yourself, your family, and your staff. Yeah. So, I think I'm still peeing you off for that Suzuki Jeep ball picker that you sold me <laughs> back in 92. Oh, yeah, I'm surprised that you would have uh, offered to take it for $92,000 US. Uh, <laughs> nice salesman. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't that you weren't that bright, but uh, no, buying but, from a mentor. Hell of right? a swing though. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And for the listeners that don't know like back it's not very common anymore, but you know, head professionals used to own, like you said, the driving range, the pro shop, the, the carts. So there was a lot more revenue being brought in if you did run it the right way. And obviously, like like you said, Al jumped in after you. And I think watching and learning from someone like yourself and from Al who had that, you do really acquire those sales skills very quickly. And it's not that you're being aggressive. You're just going... I have, like you said, a vested interest in this and I need to perform. And it is completely different to what you see now, like with all these salary jobs. Like you go Mm -hmm. and see a local head pro now, like a younger kid and just cashier. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is here. They're working a 40 hour work week. That's exactly it. Hey, maybe we work in four, four tens, Mm -hmm. three days off. Like where the, where was that when, when Meyer and I were working, it was it was eight days a week. Yeah, full grind all March the time. March fifteenth to November one, you were going open close. You rarely took a day off. You tried to take maybe a Sunday off, but uh, you know if the club champ was on or if there was oh, a, yeah. a big event going on, you were there on that Sunday. No, you kept right. that going through like till the end of your career. Sunday was your day. I yeah. remember that like it was no Al day on Sunday, and it, you were still there six days a week, even with like very competent staff in the shop. Yeah. It was still like well, that's there, how I work. That Which, presence and, of being there. Is well, that's important. right. You had well, you had to be there. And and back in the day, 
when I started at Belvedere, they decided to go private that year. Well, it was myself and I hired a young guy just to kind of be back shop, whatever we had for club storage. Utility but guy. I got $3,500 was a retainer. Uh, I bought $3,500 worth of product to put in the shop. Now the shop sat up on the hill and the, and the floor wasn't level. There was a, a small furnace, wasn't even a furnace, it was a little uh, heater in the corner. We had electricity, no running water. So you had to run up the hill to the clubhouse if you had to take a dump, mm-hmm. uh, have something to eat, whatever. But uh, I mean, right from when we opened in April, right through till when we closed in uh, the end of October, uh, I was there every day, every yeah. day, all day long. And Fly fishing. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that was, no, it was a few <laughs> years later that we stocked the pond with trout. And yeah. I was going to say, I've heard this story yeah, of you for fishing. something to do. Now. Well, I had it down mm-hmm. to it because if you remember uh, with Belvedere, the where the uh, concession was on the on the top of the hill, that was that was where the golf shop was, right there, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. this little shack. And uh, so I would take the phone out and put it on the deck, and I could catch it on the third ring if I was fly fishing, so I could <laughs> run up the hill just in time. But yeah, I mean, back then. You didn't see anybody a lot a lot of the time you didn't see anybody for most of the day because the average guy was working yeah exactly and the wives didn't play a whole lot of golf they played on tuesdays and stuff like that mm-hmm. and being private you know they had just enough money to be private and so you didn't have any any flow and and and, and back then like i said guys went to work you were busy in the afternoons, uh, the evenings, and on the weekends, mm-hmm. and the long weekends, because that was full out. So you were going as hard as you can. But I mean, you did. Now you look at, at the the facilities. Now they've got, you know, a director of golf. They got a head professional. They've got an associate, and they've got two Maybe or three two. assistants. Yeah. Uh, I mean, back in the day, there was one golf professional, yeah. and that was it. And then you know, you tried to, as time went on. You started to grow that a little, and then you could afford to get an assistant, and then mm-hmm. he became mm-hmm. an associate, and and, and, golf, and golf took off. Yep. And more, yeah, more more members were coming, and of people and, like uh, it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember sitting the in the was shop. Getting busy. Yeah. I remember you always said, like out telling me those stories, like of you fishing and stuff, like during the day, and I'm like, well, how did he have time? I'm like, on a on a Thursday, I'm like. We had 375 players today. 400 players. Yeah, wow, mean, that's man? Like, so many. Yeah, yeah. we oh didn't. Well, we didn't have uh, we didn't have a total of 200 members. I mean, the golf course had just come out of almost being uh, foreclosed on. The members had stepped up, and uh, Northwest Trust was going to foreclose. So they got some members together, and they said, "Okay, if we each put in a thousand dollars, we can buy it out of debt, and each member will get four Q shares, they called them. And the idea behind that was to sell that Q share in the future, get your money back, maybe get a little profit so that you help the golf course yeah. move on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what they did. That's cool. And so as time went on, you know, the, the golf course got busier. It got better. Uh, they could afford culvert pipes because all the ditches were wide open then. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was a tough place to be, but... Um, you guys yeah, found different. a way to make it work and sure. grow. A very right? different golf course compared to what it is now, especially. Oh, yeah. yeah. But listen, when you're 18 years old and, and you're given this opportunity, you think, you know, that you've just won the lottery and you're the head professional at Augusta National. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but uh, you did what it took. And when Al came in, Al was prepared to put in the time and do that. And there was a different different dynamic because Al was a different personality. He you know, warm, fuzzy, bubbly out there. And when the transition came, uh, 
I mean, he stepped into that role and, and was an instant winner and leader and, mm -hmm. and did really well there. And, uh, you know, the membership loved him. And it, it's a nice transition when you know what was going on and you step in. Of course, now he had two young boys, too. Mm -hmm. So he's, you know, and he's under the gun because he's got to buy all the all the inventory. And your ass is on the line because if, if it is a bad season as far as weather, you got to eat that stuff. What are you going to do with it? You exactly. Know? So you had to go to work that way. You had to go to work that winter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It worked for a lot of members. Yeah. I, just I doesn't stop. No. I worked at Chin. I worked at, uh, I made steel drums. Uh, I drove courier truck. Uh, you did what you what you had to do, I mean, to, mm -hmm. you know, to, to get by. If exactly. it was uh, in a five-month golf season, if you had a month of shitty weather, oh, you, yeah. you had to go to work Crippling. that winter. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So now, obviously, Al and his family moving from Kamloops over to Sherwood Park. What yeah, year remember, was that uh, that you came in? Yeah, born and raised in Kamloops. Played the country club. Was a member at River Shore. My, I was spoiled. And um, my father got transferred here. He worked for Golf Oil at the time, Petro-Canada, Suncor now. And um, <clears throat> that was in my grade 11 year. And I wasn't going to move. Mm -hmm. It was just going to be way too hard. It was, you know, all my buddies were there. Shit, you're, you're getting transferred in my grade 12 year. That's tough. So uh, my dad said, hey, you're, you're welcome to stay and graduate with your buddies and stay with your sister in Kamloops. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're not going to know anyone. And he was right. So I moved. Um, went to Belfisi. Brand new school. Wow. There. Brand new. Um. Belvedere was building a, a brand new clubhouse. My dad had joined that winter without even looking at it. I think he paid $900, share transfer, and dues were in. That's how desperate they were for members. 900 bucks all in. 900 bucks all in. <laughs> wow, I think it's good deal. Changed. That's how Cody's desperate they were it. for members. Mm -hmm. But they were building a brand new yeah. clubhouse. The cook had, uh, I hear the cook had torched the previous, previous yeah. clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're here. We are. I move after the. I played the BC Junior, in, uh, in Vancouver. My dad takes holidays, comes and picks mom and I up. We we move to Sherwood Park. He takes me out to the the Belvedere Golf and Country Club, and it's a drought. We're in these mobile homes. There's no irrigation. The fucking it's mosquitoes burnt. are as big as a thumb. I don't want to say the mosquitoes were They're big. Birds. But I'm a yeah. little sour because yeah. I, I had to move. A little sour. He said to his dad, what kind of a fucking place is this? What kind of goat <laughs> ranch is this? How come we're not playing Broadmoor? Yeah. Yeah. Wanting yeah. to be a city kid, right? Oh. So my dad asks, my dad tells me, you should go talk to Gary to see if you can become a back shop employee. Because that summer, yeah. it was probably August when the clubhouse was finally built, and he needed a back shop help. So I had worked at the Camelops Golf and Country Club for Mike Grass, and I took my little half-page resume into him and gave him, oh, you work for Mike Grass, you're hired. So he hired me in the back. and uh, Done deal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we had, some, we had some beauties in the back shop at that time. We had lots of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot know, of fun. Yeah. Doing what we did and... Uh, I would tell the guys, I said, listen, 
you know, we're all done today. We're going to wind it up tight and do it all again tomorrow. The same yeah. thing. But Al was Would talking about the mosquitoes. That year, uh, it was a drought, and then it got really wet, and the mosquitoes came out. And I don't want to say they're big, but I saw one standing flatfoot in the back of, back of a pickup truck fucking a turkey. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, uh, and, and so, yeah, so Al started in the back, and uh, we had a we had a tournament coming up. Oh, he had finished second in the um, junior club championship. Oh, yeah. So we had the, these two guys were going to represent Belvedere and go to the Edmonton Country Club and play in the champion of champions. So we sent Al and, and Daryl Crucial Nicky out, and away they go. Cruiser. So yeah, that's, that's what they that's what they did back. They had this champion of champions, like Gary was saying. Yeah. So all and so you got to think about all across Edmonton. You got all the all the clubs. Yeah. The first two, first and second finisher. So Al goes out there, and we don't know Al very well or his mm -hmm. game or anything. He wins the whole thing. <laughs> he, he he's the champion of champions. So he comes back to Belvedere, and right after that we had the Calcutta, which back then those days you could you know gamble on that. Well, we sold him for big dough. Yeah, big <laughs> Hot dough. ticket. And then I proceeded to shoot 80, 81. <laughs> high pressure, high pressure. Yeah. But, so yeah. then, obviously, Al works in the in the back shop, finishes up high school at Facey. Then you did play some college golf as well. And I did play a couple Kansas. years of college golf down in Kansas, yeah, mm -hmm. at a, a junior college called Johnson County. Um, in Overland Park, Kansas. Yeah, it was. Uh, we were we had a good team. Mm -hmm. We beat uh, Kansas State a couple times. Very cool. Um, well, yeah, it was. What was the golf like down the in? The golf Kansas? was very, very good. Very competitive. Windy. Uh, uh, very similar here. Oh, it was. you learned to hit it low. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, quick. Um, you learned to hit it low, but just uh. Just a shadow down there. There's so many good players. Mm -hmm. That was the eye opener. Yeah. That uh, tour, no. <laughs> yeah. Club pro. Sounds yeah, more I like can do that. I can have an influence on people's yeah. lives in golf. Maybe. Yeah. 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 There's well, you, a lot of good players. You came back. You, didn't you go to uh, work at uh, golf town? I worked at Indoor Golf World for That's Pat Preston on right. 51st Avenue there. My yeah. for a little year of retail there and. He had all the uh, screens. Yeah, he so, played indoor golf. So then Al came back, and we got him. Yeah, he started as a... Uh, then I applied. Yeah. I applied at Leduc. At Leduc? And Riverside. Mm -hmm. Oh, right, yeah. And I got an offered a job working under Fraser Jarvis. That's right. So my first year in the PGA of Canada was with Fraser Jarvis. Ken Inglesby and mm -hmm. I. And yep. Kenny is still down there. Yeah. There's one guy you want to get on this. Yeah. There is a class. There's guy some stories there. And he's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. He is. Uh, there's not much better than Ken Inglesby down mm -hmm. at Riverside. So you, obviously you come back from college, you're tour talk, no more. Like we've kind of gone from that. But like, how did that change like your game? Like when you thought, because I remember like obviously being a member and an assistant under you, like just the way that you would coach was like, I remember you coming down to the range, like I'm hitting driver and it was like, Hey kid, take that out of your fucking hand. Go to the green. Like, what are you doing down here? And like, you're an idiot. Like, and he was just like aggressive. And I was like, oh Jesus, Christ, yeah. I better go and do it. Like, how did you feel like your game changed when you came back? And like, did you notice? Because I mean, you were a standout in most events, like in the city for a long time. You played like a lot of events till late in your career. Well, you know, again, I, I uh, 
you know, we practiced every morning mm-hmm. in college, before school, after mm-hmm. school. You're down on the range. Um, yeah, that's just that's the way it was. Even back in Camelot when I was a junior, you know, you got out on your bike and you you rode to the golf course. You played eighteen at seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. This was mm-hmm. in the summertime. You came back. Mom made lunch. Or get on the bike back out. Play another eighteen. Have dinner and then go out and chip and putt all night. That's that's what I did yep. yeah, since I was ten life. years old. I think that's a big reason why I got out of the business uh, yeah. nine years ago. I just was burnt. Yeah. So for listeners that don't know, like obviously you left Belvedere, yeah. kind of in my second last year was, at the yeah. club. Yeah. yeah, and then you went into real estate. Yeah. So I mean that's something that's you've stuck with now and have done very well in the last little while and yeah, it's been a little grind <laughs> the last couple of years. Most, it ends and flows, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's been good. Yeah. And I just remember when you left, it was like, oh, geez, Al's now just a member. Hey, like you're playing a ton. And I was like, oh yeah, this is sick. Like didn't have to worry about uh, Al kicking through the back shop door anymore. Morning, ladies. Like what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> what now? Eight? You had what? Eighteen years. I was, um, I mentored under you for five years. Yeah. And I was the head pro for 18 years. Yeah. Were you not the years. youngest head pro in the city at the time? Uh, or one of? I think I was when I took over. Yeah, you could have been. Yeah. yeah. But he was the youngest head pro in, in Canadian history. PGA history. Oh, actually, really? Well, wow. Yeah. I actually, I, I went the to the honorable. Yeah. I went to the British PGA and I, I asked them, I said, what is, because I tried to do it to see. How, how young he could be. And the, the British PGA did not retain any records, nur did uh, the U, uh, US PGA. And see, back then, you, uh, I, I, my, you had a probationary year. So you had one year to decide if you wanted to be professional or not. And you couldn't win prize money and you couldn't play as an amateur. So you were in limbo. So I was 16 at that time. 17, I turned professional. 18, uh, I ended up being interviewed for the job. And I went into what's called a Class J because I had already been a, a B member of the, mem- of the association. So a J back then was a head professional without A standing. So I did that, and I turned professional in 1980, uh, head professional, but you were a member prior to that. So at the age of uh, 18, I was a head professional without A standing, and there was nothing younger than that. So yeah, I, I, hope I said that. Of the youngest head professional in golf history and, and it, it's never been challenged so fuck them i'm not about to, i'm yeah. not about to challenge that, that. For you. yeah so i had that going for me so if you took that in two bucks it let you ride the lrt yeah <laughs> yeah oh man i did not even know that to be fair like i always knew you were super young when you were yeah pro but Ooh, no but i i had hung around the golf course i you know i showed up there at eight years old one day and, and just was picking balls in the driving range and you used to get 10 cents for every 100 balls that you shagged. Was this when Kenny Matson used to No, pay? this is when Trigg was there. See, oh, okay. Ken came, I was 12 years old, when, when, but at eight, so you're now you're picking up balls, and you got to think about 1963. Uh, you're eight years old, and I've just shagged 60. I got a dollar 60. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm buying a house. Yeah, you're living <laughs> large. Yeah. I got a dollar 60. Back then, that would buy you a cheeseburger. Uh, fries, you would get a milkshake, a little a chocolate bar, yeah. turn. And, 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 and have a dollar change. You know, you had, it was unbelievable. And I thought that, you know, this was the best place in the world. So I would go 
as soon as the sun came up and we'd come home, my mom used to phone the golf course and said, listen, I haven't seen you in two months. <laughs> Why don't you come home for supper? And uh, so I did. I got and balls but, to pick them up. Yeah. yeah. But just like Al. I got mean, shakes to buy. But Al was going to play golf. I was just going to work. I didn't start playing until I was 12 or 13. I thought it was mm. stupid. <laughs> Look at these guys. Just the know? cash grabs. Just keep yeah, hitting them, guys. I was there for the big money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, it, it just yeah progressed from there. And yeah, it just gets in your blood. And that's what you knew. And that's what you did. And you did whatever it took. So, and now, obviously, like... I go can relate. Yeah, like, exactly. I, it's cool. I like hearing that from you. You word it well. Yeah. And Al, I mean, he was prepared. I mean, I can remember walking into the shop one day and looking at the four walls and thinking, if this is all I can do in my life, I'm going to look back and regret it. I, my daughter was nine years old at the time, and I thought, eh. So I said to Al that day, I said, listen, uh, there's a board meeting tonight. <clears throat> I want you to know that I'm, I'm going to uh, announce my retirement. I'm going to leave the club. This will be my last year. Uh, I think <clears throat> you should consider taking the job. And he said, I, uh, I'm not ready. I said, if you're not ready now, you're never going to be ready. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So um, it came down to, I mean, there was a lot of guys put their names in, and then the, the board said, well, who would you hire? And they had taken it down to uh, three guys that had worked for me, Wayne Hall, Mike Anderson, and, uh, and Al. They said, who would you hire? I said, listen, you're in an enviable position right now because whoever you hire, you're going to have a winner. Mm -hmm. And I left it at that. And... And the transition was boom. Al was the guy, and onward and upward, and away he went. Say love you. Yeah, we yeah. all know that it was a nice, yeah. tidy ship. Yeah, he yeah showed up with smoke and mirrors, just like my golf game. Yeah, <laughs> he had me fooled. Yeah, for and, sure. he, and he rolled with those two little guys, and he was changing diapers and doing everything. And yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a big deal. And that golf course was like, I mean, obviously, I've heard like an abundance of stories out of Al like, over that time or about that time, but. Like that golf course, besides like the course itself, like the members and like the atmosphere out there was like another world compared to what you would consider or look at now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I've oh. heard the stories. We don't have to name names, but like Busy? there are some stories that you need to bring. Yeah. 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 Well, we had, and you know, we had a swimming pool at one time when I first That's went right. there. And that was the reason I went there, actually. I was, uh, I'm 18. There was a, a fellow by the name of Dick Reynolds was an RCMP officer, and he had played at Rodmore for a year, so I got to know him, but he had gone to Belvedere. He said, you should consider coming out and taking the job. We need a young guy because it's a young golf course. We want to develop and all this. And I said, I played there when I was 16. I said, I lost more balls, and there's no way. I played with Dougie and Tony Lequeur and Steve Keeley. I said, we're never going back. <laughs> so anyway, as a favor, I went to play nine holes, and I got there, and, the, and we played, and the golf course was in uh, – God, it was it was way better than it had been, but now we're walking past the clubhouse and there's a, a swimming pool and you could see through the fence, and there was this gal, this blonde, <laughs> it's in like a bikini from the sand. And I'm going, I think I could work here. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I went back to Canada Broadmoor and I said, listen, here's it's an opportunity. He said, well, if it doesn't work, you can always come back. So I took the job and Can't away we went. But like I said back then, man, oh man, it was tough. There were just it wasn't really anything. Didn't you marry that? No, that was girl a different in the pool. No, the girl in the pool. I ended. Up, I did end up dating her, and Got to uh, know that her was a little. yeah. And uh, but I ended up yeah going a different direction, marrying a gal that worked for Fred Sturdy, Sturdy's Menswear. Oh, Fred Sturdy. Yeah, hmm. and uh, yeah, 
So that only lasted eight years. But you know what? That's the toughest. One of the things about the golf industry is that one of the toughest on marriages, and, and Al and his wife have stayed together. You know, I fool around with, with Jody quite a bit. But uh, <laughs> um, something that was supposed to be said off air. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did I say that out loud? Oh, oops. Yeah. But Whoops. other than police officers, it had the second highest mortality rate in, in work. I mean, yeah. just one of those things, you're, you're never there all summer, then you're there all winter, and then there's no balance. So mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff went sideways. But, yeah, geez, it was, like I said, you did what it takes to, to, to get the job done, and whatever that was, you, away you went. And then you step in, Al, into really, like, that's when the club was really growing. Obviously, like, I mean, Belvedere had a bit of a boom towards... Yeah, and golf was taking off. It was busy. Everyone mm-hmm. was playing it. Everybody wanted to be a part of that country club atmosphere. Yeah, and we were at a good price point. It was affordable. You know, there was a lot... There's, and there still is. But back in the day, you know, that's why we were there for so long. Mm-hmm. It was because of the members. They were good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like it was like family. Oh, leaving yeah. there was one of the work, hardest things I ever It really did. wasn't work there at all. Yeah, sure, you worked, but it's like we were there for so long. It's going because over of the moms. members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, going over to moms. And there was not, not a whole lot of noses up blocking the lights, you know, at which you get a lot of private clubs. You know, we didn't have a whole lot of them. Sure, we had some dinks. and Oh, yeah, yeah, every golf every course, course has yeah. them, but, uh, It's not even golf course. That's just anywhere you go. Yeah. 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 But very few. No, we were. And very and family oriented. It was, yeah. yeah. And the big thing there, especially when the pool was there, was that was an added feature that the, you know, parents could drop the kids off and they could go play golf and that was going on but uh, it was a poor man's private club is basically what it was it was at a price point where the guy who couldn't afford to play at the Derrick or Windermere and stuff like that could be a member of a club Uh, of course the the caliber of golf wasn't as good as those golf courses but you know everybody has their price point Mm -hmm. and as it got better then a lot of those guys that just couldn't really afford it got weeded out, but that was a progression of that. And, uh, you know, that's how they get better and, and things progress. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of members that became personal friends that, you know, you just knew them personally and yeah, it was a, it was a different atmosphere. You're there so long, you're starting to attend more and more funerals and yeah, that's tough. And not even just funerals. It was just like, I, I felt when I was there, like you said, it was such a family atmosphere where, you know, you're invited for dinner here or you're hanging out with these people going for drinks or you're yeah. you're going to go out and play with this member or you're going to... There was always something there that there was like, I mean, I had such a connection there, like grew up playing there and then moved into the role. Like I remember the day you hired me, I remember getting home and fist pumping the air, like being like, yes, it's almost <laughs> like I'm going home to work. Nice. <laughs> like, and it was like leaving there was extremely difficult because I was like, oh, geez, how am I going to do this? But like, mm-hmm. because of those relationships there, like I actually got like, you know, it, it moved me forward in my career. Yeah, like, it's the same thing when I worked for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this guy to my left here, this guy, you know, is one of the funniest fuckers that you're ever going to know and meet. Seriously. And everyone thinks he's just one big comedian, but he is a professional mm-hmm. through and through, you know, president of the, of the Alberta PGA, was on the Canadian PGA board, you know, club pro winner of the year. You know, he fucked around a lot and he had fun, but yeah. he when was a professional yeah. first and mm-hmm. he still is. Now that club professional thing, here's something interesting. 
Um, I always thought that that would be the pinnacle. If you won that award, that would be the pinnacle. So my last year at Belvedere, I was president of the PGA, and I announced my retirement. Anyway, I win the Club Professional of the Year, and I thought that was a big deal, 16 years. 16 years to the day Al won the Club Professional of the Year. So it's, you get to put, put in your 16 years, and you get to be Club Professional of the Year. So that's what it takes. Yeah. So when Kyle took over, I said uh, to Kyle at one of the – I think he'd only been there a year. I said, listen, I was here for 16 years and, and was very fortunate to win Club Professional of the Year. Al was here for 16, won Club Professional of the Year. Kyle, this is your first year. Don't fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You got yeah. 15 more to go. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't didn't transpire, but – Shit changes so fast there. Yeah. yeah, it's like a whole new world out there where just things are going so fast that like. No. I find yeah. like now is nowadays, especially like we were talking off air. Like, I mean, I I've, again, I've been out of the country for five years and then coming back and not in the business for let's call it eight, and then you look at like the private clubs and it, I don't know the private clubs right now. I find in the city, it's like it's a whole new crop of guys taking over like we i remember you always said like man you want to be a head pro to go a private club in the city good luck you got all these old guys to wait out yeah like there's no chance and now it's flipping like sure light at the end of the tunnel was really small then but now because of the industry itself i mean there's there's not a lot of money in it uh before there was people clamoring to get in uh guys going to you know to to take uh Grant McEwen programs or whatever to become a golf professional or a professional mm-hmm. manager. And I mean, that just all kind of blew up because mm-hmm. there just isn't a, a whole ton of money in it. Uh, the well, hours you know, are, are you different. But you 10 years ago, you had an assistant working for you for 1800 to 2200 a month right. for five months of the year. And then they'd go drive truck in the winter and make Exactly. 80 grand in six months. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I love golf, but I don't love golf that much. Yeah. I got to work, right? Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden, your need of, we're running out of assistance. There's not a whole lot of, of fish to pick from there. You know, a lot of a lot of throwbacks. There weren't too many keepers. Right. Exactly. You know? yeah. I wanted to put the old school time in for work. Oh sure. And well, they're they're really struggling right now. Yeah, and you, you had you had uh, members mm. who were who cherry picking your staff too because they saw the guy was a right. qualified guy. Well, now he's gonna you're gonna offer this guy you know thirty grand for the the time frame he's working. He's making ten. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was pretty easy. So yeah, like Al said, all of a sudden you're left with what you can do: warm bodies and stuff like that. Not to you know knock anybody down but i mean that that became the the facts a lot of guys went to the uh, oil and gas industry there was more money in it they had more opportunities uh and of course now the way the world is so political man i mean you got to be so careful what you say what you do i don't know i can't imagine can you imagine going out with a shotgun like i did and and yeah, tell them <laughs> tell them this story yeah no, this was good. a good one so i got two guys working in my back shop and hey, hold on hold on let's just back this up <laughs> It was one of the fucking few times that he closed. Oh, yeah. He never closed. Yeah. But this one particular time, sorry, I'll lead it in. Mm. He's closing. And we had like 20 carts. He wants to get out of there. <laughs> it's like 8.30 at night and he's waiting for one cart. 8.30. Where, where, where the fuck is this cart? June 23rd. Oh, no, this, was, this, was sept- hours. this was September. <laughs> yeah. He's waiting for this one cart. He wants to get out of there. So he starts thinking. 
hey, my two black shop kids are all here playing. They were told not to take a cart, but I think these little shits did. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. So, uh, so now I realize that, okay, they've got the cart. So now I'm watching, and I know that they're on the back nine. And I see them go down 15. So... And this is back in the day when we used uh, an actual shotgun for shotgun starts. Yeah. And we had a twenty two for the odd go for hole or shit yeah. like that. I ca- actually had I kept a, a thirty odd six in the shop for the shotgun starts because it was it was so loud, but the, we had the twelve gauge too. Anyway, I see them go by, so I run run out, sneak through the trees, I got a twelve gauge shotgun, and I climb a tree right beside the sixteenth tee, par three. And here they come up the cart path, you know, we're having a good time. They tee it up. And just as the guy gets it to the top of his back, I'm up this tree with a shotgun. It's dark now. It's dark. I let fly with this right over their heads. (laughs) Well, they both shit their pants, hit the deck. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. But can you imagine doing that now? Oh, that would be. Show up with a gun anywhere. You'd be in jail. Yeah. Oh, well, boy, you'd those... have like a yeah. gaggle of parents oh, coming at you God. first. Yeah, you don't want to do silly. that. That yeah. sounds like Chris and Tom are out there, though. When you say one cart missing, it we were definitely those people. Every those guys, <laughs> yeah. every single night. Yeah, Tom yeah. used to meet me like when it was like June time. You know, when that sun's out for a long time. Like, yeah, shut down the shop at like ten. Hey, Tom, like we can still make nine. Like. Don't worry. Yeah. I was the basic, only this must have been after there. I left there, right? No, it was after you left <laughs> yeah. for the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was uh, kind of like... You were gone for the day. Yeah. It was yeah. <laughs> around four o'clock. Yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Well, I'll to- yeah, he used to come in around noon, have lunch, take a, li- a till reading, and then go, yeah, hit some balls, <laughs> play night. Yeah, the close shift is here. Yeah. Good manager. And four o'clock, he'd fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to go. Uh, we're going to Earl's, and then we're going to go out. And That's beer clock. here, and I'm thinking about a new car, and yeah. Yeah, we made the big dough. The story about Alet, and this blew him away. I had this great big Lincoln Town Car, and uh, I had sold something for $3,000 cash. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this money? So I stuffed it in the ashtray of this car. And Al was, they were going to, they needed a down payment for this uh, place they were moving into. And he said to me, "I, I need some cash, he said. I need $3,000. And I said, oh, well, just go to the car, open the ashtray, there's $3,000 in there. <laughs> he must have thought, what in the fuck is this guy doing? That's... There's $3,000 in the ashtray of this Lincoln Town car. What is Gary I want, doing? I want, his, I want his job. Yeah, yeah I got I to get into this gig. Oh, God, yeah. You know, speaking of cash in <laughs> the car, funny. from some old stories that I've heard from tour pros on TV and also from you, Big Al, you guys had a pretty special guest out of Belvedere back in the day. You had the maybe the greatest ball striker of all time, Mr. Mo Norman. Yeah, there's no question there. That I was, I was an Al too. I, but I was really fortunate because I got to spend time with Mo. Uh, uh, we owned a golf course down in Titusville, Florida. It was owned by the PGA, and Mo would spend his winters in Dunedin. But he would come down, and he would spend just about every day down there hitting balls and stuff like that, and. Uh, Mo, there's no question that, that this guy was the purest ball striker that ever lived. And, and I mean, you get... Tigers even quoted that. Oh, it's, it was unbelievable to, to see. So uh, as, he, as he got older, uh, he started to do exhibitions. So uh, Across Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So And Mo never flew. 
No, he, he drove, drove everywhere. He drove everywhere. He either had a Cadillac or this Buick. Anyway, he shows up in Belvedere, and uh, so we go out to the driving range. You're, you're last year. You bring him in. Yep. And uh, so I take him out to the range, and I cut the tee down real short. I said, how's this? Oh, I'd like it shorter. I'd like it shorter. So Mo, Mo was autistic, and, and they didn't yeah. know that at the time. And, and Mo had what's known now as Asperger's syndrome. And so he would repeat himself. He was, he was unbelievable with numbers, uh, his memory. Uh, there were certain things, but he was a social misfit. He just, mm-hmm. he just was. He just, that's, that's the way that this whole development of, of, of him uh, happened. So anyway, I went down and got the greens more. And I spun around about six times. I said, how's that? And he put the club down. And he goes, oh, that's good. Look, no grass between my ball and the club. Look, look, look. So he'd repeat himself three or four times. So I had forewarned some of the members. I said, listen, Mo is, you know, he's a certain way. Don't rush to approach him or anything like that. Yeah, he Feel- hated crowds, didn't he? That's why he didn't want to play on tour for the most no, part. No, no, it wasn't. No, he loved, he loved people, but. Uh, the, aggressive the re- energy he went he went on the tour and what happened there is that uh you know mo his his hygiene wasn't real good and his clothes were a little rough and he was doing things to more entertain the people and uh, dean beeman took him aside and told him that his conduct was unbecoming to by a, for a golf professional mm-hmm. and he was offended and he left the tour and he never went back to the u.s tour so mm-hmm. he played up in canada and set all these records and, and did all this stuff so now he comes out to Belvedere, and I said, don't be afraid to ask Mo questions, but also don't be surprised by the answer because he's going to be brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't really have any any sessions out there, but the first 10 balls that he hit with a 7-iron, you could have thrown a hula hoop over. Mm-hmm. And when people saw this... Did the, you put a blanket out on the range? No. No, you could have. You could. You could lay a blanket. You could lay a blanket yeah. out there. Debunked. Yeah. That story's been thrown around. Nice to get the official yeah, yeah. account. Well, you know what they say Debunked about Mo sure. is, is they said there's a million stories about Mo, and some of them are true because every everybody had a had a, had a story. And uh, I first met, met him. I, I caddied for a guy named Dale Welker out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in the Alberta Open, and he's with Mo, and I'm watching this, going, "What? What is this?" And and. I mean, as soon as his feet were set, the ball was gone. Mm-hmm. And it was just boom, boom, boom. Just ropes. So now Never like, missed the shot. Never missed the shot. No. So now he's, he's, there's no driving range at uh, Highlands. So I'm shagging for this Dale Welker. And this kid is, is, is for, for Mo. And I'm running over here and getting this and running over there and getting this. <laughs> this kid is sta- And Mo's going like this. He just pushed him back like this. Mo would hit. It didn't matter whether it was a seven iron or a driver. The ball one hopped. And it was right dead center. The kid just caught it and put it in the bag. Just, it was, it was unbelievable to watch. And people, when you when you watch something that's so amazing, then you start to laugh. And when Mo first started doing it, he thought people were laughing at, at him. him. Oh. And, and and he took offense to that. And to Mo, they were just words. So it wasn't it wasn't uh, an oddity for Mo to tell somebody to go fuck themselves or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Uh, it's not the emotion aspect, but laughing is kind of different, right? Yeah. So I, I ended up taking him over to, to Mill Woods, and uh, Daryl McDonald did it all up, had the big bleachers and stuff. And I said, folks, don't be afraid to ask more questions. He'll be brutally honest. So now he's hit five drivers, and they're just like frozen ropes. And, and he, he just goes to take it back, and this guy goes, hey, Mo, do you think about the out-of-bounds when you're hitting your driver? And he hits this thing, just... He looks at the guy. And goes, "Do you think about the ditch when you're driving your car?" <laughs> That's a good one. 
I remember. Uh, <laughs> I remember when you brought them in, and Gary had brought all these bleachers in from Northlands. Mm-hmm. We're jammed, <clears throat> members only. All the public is phoning us, looking to get in for this show that Mo's going to put on. Sorry, it's members only. <clears throat> and uh, Mo's going through his routine, and he gets to the drivers, and he's hitting. Power built persimmon wood. Yeah. This is a nineteen ninety one, year last year. And he's he's fucking roping he's he's sixty four years old and he's roping this drive out hopping it out on fifteen at Belvedere. With the persimmon. Wow. With the persimmon. Yeah. I still couldn't do that now. <laughs> so then he goes he turns to the crowd and he goes, You guys want twenty yards? Go see Gary. Go see Gary. Five hundred bucks. Five hundred bucks, that's all it takes. <laughs> And he pulls out this old Kevlar head. Well, not old. It was the, the head and at the time. John Daly used it when he won right. the PGA. Yeah. It was a blonde Kevlar head. Yeah, go see Gary. 500 bucks, 20 yards. Look. And he hits this drive. <laughs> and he goes, oh, look, just like a jet. Breakfast in Newfoundland. Dinner in Vancouver. There it goes. Woo-hoo. And it's like <laughs> wow. halfway down 50. Go see Gary. That's 500 insane. bucks. You know, trying to sell drivers. You know, I like that he's aware of that, though. Right? No, like, he was promoting. Yeah, yeah, love that. Like, uh, yeah, that's a creative way of just going about saying something, right? Correct. Like, yeah. Including you knowing that, like, hey, I like Gary. Let's try and promote Gary. Yeah, that's no. amazing. He was, he was, he was a, he was a professional's professional that way. Like he, he believed in all that. But it was such a sad story because. Uh, uh, you know, now you're talking to him kind of personally. And uh, I said, did, uh, you know, did your parent, he said, my dad never saw me hit a ball. My mom never saw me hit a ball. Never, never. Who? He didn't play golf. No, he didn't play golf. He said, I, I, and he hated to talk on the phone. It was another mm-hmm. phobia. Didn't mm-hmm. want to talk on the phone. He said, so I go, I go home. I, I, I go home. I go in the house and oh, there's mom in the kitchen. I'm sitting there. Where's dad? Where's dad? She didn't answer right away. I knew something was wrong. He died nine months or six months prior. I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, it was it was really his life was a real hodgepodge of things, and and um, it was really sad in a way. But the, uh, some of the other things that he did, he was so brilliant. Like with golf, with with crib, playing cards, with numbers. And if you remember the movie uh, mm-hmm. Rain Man, mm-hmm. there's a scene in there where he starts to throw numbers at uh, at Raymond. Yeah. Well, you could do that with track. Mo. You could yeah. do that with Mo. He'd say, Mo, what, what's 463,000 times 468 million? And he would just, the number would just rattle, rattle off. off. Yeah. yeah that's he was unbelievable. Remember when you, unbelievable. Remember when you brought him in and you met him on Calgary Trail? He didn't know how to get out to Belvedere. No, no. He showed up to him himself. He wanted to stay at a, uh, so I said to Mo, where do you want to stay? You want to stay at the Westin? You want to stay? Oh, no, no, no. I like, I want my car right out front, right out front, right out front. He always wanted to stay in a motel. He wanted mm-hmm. his car right there. Mm-hmm. And if there was a Coke machine nearby, that was better. Because Mo would drink probably on average close to 48 cans of Coke a day. It was <laughs> constant. He always had a can of Fuel. Coke on. And his teeth, of course, were really bad. And, and he, of course, he said, I've never been to a doctor. I've never been sick a day in my life. I never smoked a cigarette. I never had any alcohol. Which led to the next question. Because, you know, you think, so one of the guys said, well, what about women? And when Mo was younger, there was a woman at the, at the golf course that took a run at him, and he didn't really understand, but it scared the shit out of him. Mm. 
And the rumor was that Mo was hung like a butcher's window. But, uh, <laughs> oh my. Anyway, so the guy said, Well, what about women? Mo said, Tried it once, didn't like it. Tried it once, didn't like it. So now I've got him at the, at the motel and he's parked right out front. He's got a Coke machine and everything there. And, uh, he, you know, drinking Cokes and, and away we went. We did all that. But that's how he wanted to be right there, sim- simple. So, I go to Dunedin, or I go down to, to Florida. This is a couple of years after that. And you just kind of serpentine and make your way up there and because you don't just approach him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I stood and kind of, then I moved in a little closer, a little closer, and he's hitting balls, and he looks up, and he hits balls, and there's a can of Diet Coke sitting there. And I look at it, and I said, Mo, Diet Coke? Oh, yeah. <laughs> drinking it for six months six months <laughs> my shit's a different color my shit's a different color yeah yeah just telling just, it how it is yeah like that's it. yeah won't tell you exactly how it is and he three putted one time this goes way back to the saskatchewan open and, and big galleries back in those days and if you won the saskatchewan open you won like three thousand dollars was top money that was a big deal mm-hmm. so anyway mo's leading the tournament and uh he three putts and to mo it's no big deal and as he walks off the green He's walking, gallery kind of spreads, and this woman said, that's too bad, Mo. And for whatever reason, Mo looked at him and goes, fuck off, cunt. <laughs> but he doesn't say it once. He says it three times. Well, now the gallery's in a, an uproar, and, and people are, oh, they're so offended. And Mo didn't know what he did. To him, they were just words. Yeah, like you're, I'm on it, and oh, you're trying to throw me off. I ain't gonna yeah, take that yeah, right now. Yeah. I'm Mo Norman. I'm on. I'm just, a train moving yeah, forward. Can you imagine if a guy did that on tour right now? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, how about when guys <laughs> he, were crowding the tee? Like these galleries were big, and they were starting to crowd the tee. And Mo took his driver the one time, and he whap right by this guy's foot. He goes, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" He said, "Do you go on the ice when they play hockey? Do you run on the football people when they're playing football? Go on, get back, get back. Where's your lunch pail? Where's your lunch pail?" <laughs> Get back. <laughs> 33 oh course records. Within wow. 17 hole-in-a-ones. Shot 59 three times. Three times, yeah. On tour. No. Or No, no 59. He shot 59 three times. I, I don't know if any of them were ever in, yeah, in, in, competition. in competition. Exhibition, golf, yeah. everything. Oh, wow. shit. Yeah, Mo had at one time, he had 72 course records. It was golf course would open. Wow. They'd ask Mo to come to set the record. That's, That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, he was unbelievable. What an honor that would be. Well, I mean, if you look at a guy like Tiger, it says like, or not, was it Tiger? Who, whoever said that the, there were the two guys that actually own their golf swings. It's Tiger Woods and Mo Norman. Oh. Like, that's pretty big accolades when you're put up Huge. next to Tiger. Like, yeah. Well, he's, you, you watch his old videos and he's like, look, I never miss a sweet spot. Never miss a sweet spot. He shows yeah. you. It's like, yeah. yeah, you're right. You've never missed it's it. Like the same, the same, the same. It was like a repeating rifle. That's all he did. He said, I'm, I'm a farmer moving dirt. I'm just moving dirt. You go in the clubhouse, have a hamburger. I'll be out here just moving dirt. Moving dirt. Moving dirt. So the next year, wow. That's a cool I, I, I bring him in to do a clinic for the members. So what the deal was, it was $500 plus donations. So after his clinic, you would pass the hat around to all the members and whatever was taken in, he would get. So <clears throat> the year that I... Brought him in with the help of Bob Dill, mm-hmm. who was a good old member at uh, at Belvedere. Actually, Bob was the first to sponsor him. Mm. Bob was in the glove business. I was going to say Bob Dill gloves. Bob Dill gloves, yeah. and he 
knocked a lot of shit off of China. Like he'd take an old Wilson R90, take it over to China, and put more Norman on it. And he, That's all awesome. his range balls had more Norman on them. Yeah. Gloves, more Norman gloves. All well, packed, he yeah. gave Mo a percentage of everything that was sold. He sponsored wow. him before Titleist did. Yeah. Bob Dale. That's shout nuts. out Bob Class Dale. Class guy. Class yeah. guy, Bob. I miss him. Great family. Anyways, we play golf at Belvedere. Bob Dale, good. myself, Mo Norman, and my associate at the time, Kevin Day. Billy Deans. K-Day. K-Day. So the day before, he does a clinic at the country club for Penny. And while we're playing Belvedere, we get to the fifth hole. It's a little three-par. It's not level. It's one of the best three-pars in town, 200 yards. And we're waiting. We're on the bench. And I go to Mo. I said, Mo, how did you make Mo to Bill's place last night? He goes, ooh, pretty good. Pretty good. He points to his wallet. It's (laughs) sticking out about four inches thick. He goes, look, look. Not too many twos in there either. (laughs) (laughs) Big wad of cash. And I guess he always had that on him. Hey, gear. Pretty much, Didn't he used to pay off cops? Like, is this the story of... It might be from Ben Hogan, or I think it's Mo Norman when a cop pulled him over in Texas. I think that was Arnie. No, no, was, no, Mo. No, I thought he was Mo. And the, the cop pulls him over, and he's like, "I'm got to give you a ticket for speeding." It's like a hundred dollars. He gives him two. What no. do you give me two for? Oh, oh here, here's me down the road. You're going to catch yeah. me again. No, here's here's the story. He was driving. Mo would would get in the in his car in the fall, and he would drive nonstop from Toronto to Florida. Mm-hmm. So he's going through Georgia or something like that. And the speed limit was 55. This was the energy crisis. Well, Mo was driving 70. So state trooper pulls him over. And so Mo pulls over to the side of the road. State trooper comes up. Now, Mo was sitting, holding the steering wheel, looking straight forward like this. And the cop's looking at him. And he takes his gun, and he taps on the window. <laughs> Mo was about this far. Yeah. He <laughs> said, sir, he said, you know how fast you're going? He goes, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, 70, 70 miles an hour. Always drive 70. Oh, yeah, 70, 70. <laughs> He said, well, sir, the uh, speed limit here in the state of Georgia is 55, and that's going to cost you $100. Well, Mo reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out this wad, and he goes, you think it'll put a dent in this? Put a dent in this? (laughs) So the cop took him back, and he paid the judge, and they let him go. You know, they realized that he had a a social whatever, and they let him go. So the story goes on that Mo, and and I saw it. I mean, he had a wad like that, just a wad of cash. So he was good friends with Lee Trevino, and there was a, uh, where he lived, he lived in a shoe, above a shoe store in Dunedin, Florida, and there was, near there, there was a guy that did golf club repairs, and Mo got to know the guy, and he was a good guy, and Trevino would show up every once in a while. So he comes in, and Mo's standing there with this guy, and now Trevino's got a buddy with him, and he says, Mo, how much money you got in your pocket? He goes, whoa, I don't know, Lee, I don't know, you count it, you count it. He takes it out, and he throws it on the workbench. So Mo goes out to get a Coke. So Lee grabs the money, tears up some newspaper, pours gas on it, and lights it on fire. Mo comes in, and here's this inferno on the workbench. And Trevino looks at Mo. What do you think of your money now, Mo? <laughs> Plenty more where that came from, Lee. Plenty more where that came from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear stories like Pid, Greg Pidlowski. Yeah. Longtime pro mm-hmm. at LeDuc. Yep. Played the Canadian Tour. Back in his younger days, and roomed and traveled with Mo, a rookie and a veteran. Yeah, that's right. And Mo saw lots in Pitt. He, yeah, he really liked Greg. They they got along really well. He's mild mannered. Pitt tells the story of uh, 
when when if you got Mo in, in a in a social atmosphere, he was like a caged animal at times. He just he just vibrated. So they were sitting around and, and they're having. So he said to Mo, he said, Mo, I'm going to go have a, a a beer with the guys. Okay, Greg. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So he goes back to the room. Pitt says he just gets absolutely hammered. <laughs> he rolls in about two thirty in the morning. He says, I fall into the room. I stumble in. I hit the golf clubs. They down they go i rustle around he said i finally lay down and it's dead quiet and then he hears pretty long beer <laughs> pretty long beer <laughs> oh my God. Well, another one of the and this is because because everybody had a mo story and and i was really lucky because i was playing the alberta open at earl gray in calgary and this is in july and it's snowing the second day, and they're trying to decide whether they're going to go or not because the weather had just caved in. And this was Peter Jackson had the tour, so they had gallery ropes the whole golf course. It was done like a PGA event. So I'm on the putting green at one end, and Mo's at the other, and there's a guy in a downfilled jacket, and every time Mo moves, this guy moves. So now Mo and I are back to back, and this guy's got, and he says, nice weather, eh, Mo? Mo looks at me, he goes, oh, nice weather, nice weather. Looks at the guy, he says, is your wife as stupid as you are? <laughs> oh is she as stupid God. as you? Well, I had my first Mo story, and I couldn't wait to go in to tell somebody because you, if you had a Mo story, I mean, that was a big, big deal. And, and Greg had a million of them. I Here's mean. my story. So that day that we're playing with them at Belvedere mm-hmm. with Bob Dale and K-Day, we're going along, and he, he's made nothing. He's like even par. I'm going okay. I'm up about three under par. We get to 18. We do the drive up 18. He, he gets out of the cart. He looks at the sign. He looks at the hole. He looks at the sign. He looks at the hole. He goes, who? What's this hole doing on this golf course? This is a fucking hole. 430. I like this. That's it amazing. It so hilarious. Because that is this a hole. This has been a pitch and putt till here. This well, is a great hole. Well, he liked because he stood on the tee and looked at eight. But up the right side is that right of way, you know, where the oil and gas yep. line runs. And at that time, it had grown in and was really narrow. Anyway, Mo looks at it and goes, oh, this should be the tea. this should be the hole. This should be the hole. He said, oh, play it all day. Hogan and I. He said, a ball fit. Look. And he, takes it, he goes, like yeah. this. But then he, he was telling me that one day he said, uh, he's talking about Hogan. He said, well, Hogan only walked across the street to see two guys hit a ball. Hogan said, Hogan's words, not mine. Two guys, only two guys, me. And I forget the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Jesus. Oh, I mean, I mean, I've grew up like obviously in the shop with Al hearing all these stories. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, How do you have like so many? Like you say this now, like to have a Mo story is like the thing. Like, yeah, I would just rifle off Al's stories. I was like, oh, yeah, I got him, too. Like. Oh, one, was... one more, one more. When I remember when Geary brought him in the first year, and he he's hit balls for like an hour and twenty minutes. And again, he's like sixty four years old. And one of our members says, "How about sand shots, Mo?" And then Mo goes, "Sure, let's go." And then Geary and I are like kind of looking at each other. What the fuck are we gonna do? <laughs> so we go to eighteen. We take him to the. Everyone gets out of the stands, and we walk to the eighteenth bunker behind eighteen. The one behind. Long. Oh, brutal. Pins red in the front. 
Nice. Right. Yeah. So he everyone's gathered around the bunker, and he goes, ooh, hey, what are you doing in there? Get in here. You like the sound when you are a kid? Get in here. So all <laughs> hell, these members are getting into the bunker. First shot, foot away. Second shot, lips it out. And someone says, oh, how about a fried egg? Well, how do you hit those fried eggs? He takes this fucking bite these bite wedges that he has and just hammers the shit out of this bowl. Yeah. All you can see is about, you know, fingernail, a fingernail of the, of a dimple of the ball <laughs> foot away. Just um, crazy. Good. Unbelievable. Crazy. That's good. Insane. He had, he had a, a wedge. It was called a Sandy Andy and it was very much like the old bite wedge that came along. I think my brother had that wedge. Yeah. Is it? It's Sandy. Yeah. And if you can find one, I mean, today that's, it was quite a thing, but, I saw him put on a clinic at Broadmoor back in, when I was 16. He hit a sand shot out of there, and honest to God, when it landed, it was like somebody had a string on it, and he pulled it back into the sand trap. There was that much spin. He said, watch this thing come back. And, he, and it just went zit, zit, right back into the trap. That's incredible. It, it, it was, it, what he could do with a golf ball and a golf club was, was amazing. He just, I mean, he was, a, he was a one of. And playing in an era, too, where... We can transition into something here, but like that was in an era where you're moving the ball, like the you're playing a ballata ball, you're playing persimmons, you're yeah. playing blades. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now like I'll ask you this question: like if you watch the tour now compared to a guy like Mo Norman, like how do you how do you view the game now? Like where there's no movement in the ball, and yeah. these guys yeah. can literally do anything they want out of the rough, out of well, the bunker. Like back in the day, <clears throat> there was 140 guys teed up on tour. There are only twenty guys that could win. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Now with the golf, with the equipment and the ball, it's brought so way more. The field is so tight now. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's anyone all, can win. Anyone can win. Anyone can win because like, there's so much the talent up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll you're, tell you, what, you're playing the same game though. Yeah, what you should do though, go on. I mean, YouTube's a great resource. Go on there and just put in Mo Norman. Yeah, mm-hmm. and because what's happening is there's there's videos and stuff coming out that people have had. Over the years. Over the years that they're going, hey, I've got something. And they put it out there. And, and a lot of this stuff is, it's almost like new. Yeah. yeah. It's but funny he's, you say he's that. doing the same thing over and over and over. He was, like, I called him a repeating rifle. I mean, he was. I'm just thinking. Pipeline Mo, that's what they call him. I wish we could have had him as a four jack contributor, right? Oh. Like his oh, content yeah. would have been amazing. Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> just the realist. Too, to be fair. Realist guy out there, right? So, I mean, if you were to look at, I mean, okay, besides Tiger, but if you're going to look at a guy on tour now that would even throw shade at a, not throw shade, but show some sort of resemblance to a player like Mo Norman that can move the ball, shape the ball, hit these shots, like, I don't know if there is a guy on tour anymore that, like, plays anywhere near that. I mean, I guess Tiger. Well, he I still, I think creative. Phil tries to, but. Not with that level, because Phil gets himself into a yeah. lot of trouble. Is it is it DeChambeau? Is it he's the guy that yeah, he's very scientific? It, yeah, very scientific. Grips everything short and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, all the same. All his irons are the same. See, length. that was the thing about Mo that Mo gripped mm-hmm. the golf club at a six iron length. Everything that he, other than his driver, hmm. he gripped the golf club at a six iron length, and he had huge hands and he was so powerful. But uh, it was after that that they came up with a golf club called Equal. And it was made by Victor Comptometer, which was... Um, Tommy Armour, wasn't it? Yeah, it was maybe Tommy Armour. Anyway, Tommy they, Armour. they came up with a golf club. Every club was six iron length. Hmm. So then it was based on this theory that you should golf, hold the golf club in the same position all the time. 
and that's where that came from and i think it was only out there for a year or something like that but that's what back, you see apparently. yeah that's what you see with this guy i mean he does the same kind of thing as mo as far as gripping it and and the, the limited movement um you know there wasn't a whole lot i mean when you watch mo's swing you would think well he doesn't even get it to three quarters uh his extension's unbelievable and uh one of the things that he used to do is he put a silver dollar uh, a foot and a half to two feet behind the ball, and he would practice taking and clipping that thing as he mm -hmm. came back every time, clip, clip. And he wanted that club to come in on the same kind of angle, the same kind of angle. And He was extremely it, it was, upright and had a lot of space oh, in his yeah. golf swing. Yep. Like, yep. And there was no hesitation. He, None. He, as soon as his feet were set, he pulled the trigger. He'd already lined the shot up. He already knew his distance. And he just, he had the club and he just he hit had it. that high finish and yeah. just pointed it down. Yeah. He said, he always, oh, take, take the apple off the top of the tree. He said, you want the <laughs> apple off the top of the tree? You don't want from over here. Top of the tree. Take it from the top. I'm going to use that. Yeah. That same time, 91 year last year, 92 my second year. The Canadian Tour is in town. Yeah. And they're out at Wolf Creek. Ryan Vold hosted the Alberta Open many times. Shout out to the Volds. Mo's in, in town. He goes out to take in the Alberta Open. Never. And watch the boys play. Never been to Wolf Creek. He had never been to Wolf Creek. So all these tour players, hey, Mo, Mo's here. He's on the range. I think it was Kelly Murray from Vancouver, who was a longtime tour member, starts passing the hat around. All the tour players start throwing 20s in there. Hey, Mo, can mm -hmm. you hit some balls for us? So he puts a clinic and a show on there. But prior to that, he's going up and down the range. All these guys, this was a Thursday. After the round, they're hitting balls, practicing, and he's going out looking at each one of these swings. <laughs> you know, he's watching the, a tour player. You don't have it. He'd go to the next guy. Fuck, that's terrible. Hey, go to the next guy. You should fucking quit. Goes oh to the fourth guy. God. You're close. You know, just ripping these Canadian tour guys. Yeah. You know? That's so wild that he would do that. Well, he came out when we, we had the assistants used to come down to, to uh, Florida as a reward. There was a top assistant from each, each zone got to go. And so uh, there was Mo and... Uh, Gar Hamilton, and Gar was a, a great uh, player, a good teacher, and a good guy. And so Mo and Gar are working with these guys, and this kid is he's, he's hitting shots, and he's hitting shots, and Mo watches this, and he goes, Gar, come and look at this. Gar, Gar. And he's down at the end of the range. Come and see. Come and see. So the Gar comes down. Now all the assistants have all turned. Now they're looking at this kid. And uh, so now they're all gathered around. He says, Mo says, do it. Do it. The kid stands up and he hits this shot and he turns around and Mo goes, worst move in golf. <laughs> worst move in golf. Wow. Yeah. Just trash talking. Oh, fuck. I mean, like brutally honest. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way he was. Yeah. Worst. yeah. Well, and he said about the, what's it, the fourth hole that uh, he did not like Wolf Creek. He called it a pig pen because the <laughs> cart paths were all dusty and dirty. And the fourth hole, he, he went out and he that looked at it. tight one. It's yeah. Shoot. Yeah, yeah that's a brutal. Yeah. It was really tough when it first opened. It still is. Yeah. So, uh, whatchamacallit, who was the course designer? Rod. Rod Whitman. Whitman. He's on the green with Ryan. 
And Mo says to him, he goes, oh, you know what Nicholas would do with this? You know what Nicholas would do with this hole? <laughs> Bulldoze the whole thing. Bulldoze the whole thing. Yeah, he didn't like Mill. He didn't like Wolf Creek. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. But, I mean, we'll move on for a minute with that. And I want to go into actually, like, asking, I know we were kind of speaking off air a little bit about this, but, like, how do you guys, like, feel, like, obviously, besides the tour, the tours, whatever, like you can look at that any way you want, but like, how do you feel right now about like the growth of golf, the game of golf? Like, you know, like we were talking about the private clubs and they're in a different state than they were back in the eighties and nineties. And you look at the, the kind of guys that don't really want to be playing anymore. Like you're saying, Oh, 10 grand to, you know, pay for my wife to my wife and I to play every year. Well, no, like I'll take three holidays instead. Like, do you feel like golf is going to be, in a bit of a decline. I mean, it is in a decline. I mean, millennials yep. aren't playing. No, they've they can't afford it. No. They so, did. is it going to be struggling for a while, or is something going to change to help it? Well, they they had the president at the time of uh, of uh, TaylorMade, um, along with Brian Gumble, and they were talking about the game. And this goes back. I'm going to say it was over ten years ago, and the whole the whole thing started with uh, this golf course in Florida, and they're showing. You know, the members playing and the golf course is lush and it's gorgeous and everything and stuff like that. Now they've gone ahead five years and they're standing on this property and it is totally growing back in. Mm -hmm. The golf club had to close because it was failing. So they're, they're talking about the game and where it's going. And uh, what they ended up doing is they, they played around to golf and they played with a six inch hole. So they were experimenting with a bigger hole and they identified at that time that number one golf was too expensive it took too long to play especially in north america yeah the game was too hard and um too tough for people to, to get into mm -hmm. so they, they identified that and at that time they were averaging the closure of two golf courses a day in the united states and this yeah, was going on constantly me. and this went on for <clears throat> four or five years but uh the other thing too now with with computers and, and everything else how does a guy justify saying to his wife yeah I'll see you honey i'll be gone now i got to drive to the golf course it takes that time to get there i got to hit balls mm -hmm. maybe have some breakfast then i'm going to play then i'm going to come off the golf course have a beer with the guys and come home well you've been gone for six and a half hours and she's home with the kids yeah. how long is that going to last so, so there, there isn't. There just isn't the time, and there isn't the patience, and because everything is fast, time blocks fast, are everything fast. nowadays. Sure, mm -hmm. fast, 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 and and golf courses—that's what they have to sell: time and space. And you're seeing it. I think you're seeing it at every facility where there's more time open. Uh, guys who are just getting into the game—they don't want to play. It's too long. So the talk of the 12-hole golf course, I think there's something there. I think there's potential there because it's a shorter period of time you got a smaller area you have to maintain as far as your finances, right? And a junior can play, a beginner can play, a senior can play, a mm -hmm. good player can play. What difference does it make if you're the club champion and you were the best player over 36 holes, so that's three rounds, you're still the best player. Mm -hmm. So why is it mm -hmm. that 18 holes has to be the Par is relevant. You don't need to play 18. Right. And you know what? Even playing nine, I think, like I spoke about this on the pod before, but like, I used to regularly go play this course in Sydney and it's like right on the course. It's like a 
executive par three. I mean, there's like four or five par fours, and the rest are just fun par threes. But you're right on the coast. It's beautiful. But on Sundays, they do like a little nine and Sunday sesh. So you play nine holes. We I think it was like, I want to say it was like 20 bucks, 18 bucks, like around there. That's a, that's a good deal. I mean, golf down there was pretty cheap, to be fair, actually, which surprised me. But you come off. They have a live band on the patio overlooking the sea. And they have like drink specials and dinner specials all night. And you're like, I would come here not even to play golf, like just to hang out. Do you not find that golf needs to become more interactive? Like make it shorter, do something else to catch their attention and mm-hmm. do anything really. I mean, yeah. well, that's it when reinvent they, itself. When they, the idea of the golf when they tried the six, mm-hmm. the six inch hole thing, he, he said to him, well, what do you think? And Brian Gumbel said, well, it was kind of, you know, kind of goofy. He said, yeah, it was goofy, but did you have fun? Exactly. He said, yeah, it was fun, you know, because you made those mm-hmm. 20 footers and you could chip in and, you mm-hmm. know, so there was that. But, uh, you know, Al's got to, you're going to have a take on that too. I mean, where do you think it's going? What's, what's going on? Well, like I was saying, um, you know, these mom and pa's are, are leaving their shares to their kids. Mm-hmm. And the kid is looking at the dues for the year. Holy fat buck, Batman. It's anywhere from 7,500 to 10 grand for me and the lady to play golf. I don't think so, Dad. I want to continue quadding. Yeah. I want to continue going to Canmore. Mm-hmm. I want to continue. You know, these the young people today are, are doing different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Time it takes to play. The VIP card that's offered there. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to play the same golf course over and over mm-hmm. again. They like the variety. Yeah. It's no big deal to them to join a club. I'm going to see... Lots of privates become semi-privates. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, there was a prestige thing too. It was a it was a social prestige thing to be able to be a member to private club, and and, and today's yeah. youth and no, they don't care. They don't they don't want no, it. Not no. not that they much. They don't care and they don't want it. No. But see, the the corporate yeah. used to each the corporate would buy the share, right? So now you're you're the guy that's playing, and they were paying everything. They were paying the green fee. They were paying the. Yeah and the guest fee, and he had an expense account and everything else. And the government, in its wisdom in Canada, singled out golf as being, uh, you could not write off your dues, your guest fees, meals, anything associated with the golf course you cannot do. Now, if I take you deep sea fishing, I can write that off. If I take you hunting at a lodge, I can write that off. If I take you to a baseball game, a football game, or anything, I can write that off. You cannot with golf. So somewhere along the line, some golf professional was screwing a uh, an attorney general or something or the finance minister, mm-hmm. and he said, fuck golf, and that's it. And the PGA, along with the Golf Course Owners Association, has been lobbying for 10, maybe 15 years now to try to get that changed because there's no advantage to taking a client there because there was no write-off. Mm-hmm. Well, now the, the, the economy is tighter I mean, this has shut these things right down. I mean, you don't get a membership anymore. You don't no. get to go play golf. You know, you, mm-hmm. they, they'd rather buy, you know, three or four hockey tickets and, and go and do that. Yeah, right. But where better to have somebody where you're going to spend four hours, five hours of time with them right beside you that you can talk to? Yeah. Them. Yeah. You know, you're not going to talk to them at the hockey game. Right. There's because, a distraction. Exactly. Right. Yeah. There's in golf, the distraction is like, okay, for a minute here, let's focus on this but then the whole progression of it and watching how they deal with when you hit a bad shot and make a bogey and they just made a birdie or they like has ah, suck on it or like 
Sure. Hey, man, come get the next one, right? Like, you got it in you. Don't beat yourself up or, like, any other thing like that, right? You yeah. can learn a lot from someone being yeah. on the golf oh, course. Sure. Like, well, and you can... I mean, there was a ton of corporate golf done in, my, sure. in our day, yeah. Tons. Yeah. We need big, to lobby big to get time. that back. The thing, too, that you didn't need to be on the golf course very long with an individual before you could determine what kind of a person they were. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether they were honest, whether they were loyal, whether, you know, how, how what made them Filled tick. with rage. Yeah. yeah it yeah. reveals you out there. Yeah, you, the it journey. didn't take long. You could kind of go, okay, well, this, and then you knew, you know, what you were dealing with. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, how many deals, big, big deals, were cut on golf courses? I mean, it had to be enormous. Yeah, because yeah. you just get that time with each other. And in, like, my world, it's, time is very valuable. And, like, coffee that replaces golf is okay very transactional it's not you have this long-term period where there's gonna be lulls in conversation and it's you go back think about and then you know you were talking about that for a few minutes and this is my more adapted version of the idea and you get that time to really just let things percolate yeah no without a doubt yeah without a doubt it's sad it it, it is sad in 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 a in a way because the game so much of has changed the the way it's played um there was there seemed to be a lot more reverence to the game uh golf courses were were hollowed ground mm-hmm. uh, there was a, there was a lot more respect there was a lot more quiet and stuff like that now go back and and, and dial up some of the old shell wonderful world of golf or some of the old canadian open 67 and that you didn't have guys screaming you the man and guys hollering well, and mm-hmm. screaming but guys don't even clap anymore on tour because they're holding no. their phones yeah 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 that's exactly well it. their phone or, or tiger's codes. even said it he's like guys don't clap anymore yeah. these crowd no. don't they're not clapping they're holding their phone they're screaming well they're screaming because they want to hear their own voice when they turn the when they've recorded it. it yeah exactly yeah. and uh you know this i mean all the shit that goes on but they're at fault because they want to sell alcohol right oh, so these guys course. are tanked up pretty good now you still see for the most part if you, if you want to see respect in that you still do see it at the masters they they yeah, don't they force it yeah they don't allow that now here's the thing about the masters mo norman would play in the masters twice and back in the day they used to invite the canadian amateur champion and uh so Mo went the first time, and I said, uh, okay, Mo, tell the people, where were you when you got your invitation to the Masters? Working, working. What were you doing, Mo? He was a pin setter at a bowling alley. He said, I had the invitation in my back pocket. He said, I, I was the first guy to show up at Augusta National on the bus. And he said, and I was snow white. He said, because I'd been inside all winter. Snow white, he said, when I showed up out there. All these guys are tanned and everything, and huh, yeah. That's how I went. But, yeah, I mean, look, look at the sport now. I mean, the screaming and the hollering. You know, the 16th hole at, uh, at the, at the uh, Waste Management, waste management in, in, is in Bedlam. It, it's, it's neat. It's a neat yeah. deal. For a, one event. A one event, exactly. Yes. But there's fucking screaming and hollering and in the hole. And it, you, you, I'd like them to have about six linebackers there. <laughs> and when the first guy spouts off, these guys just flatten him. Terry Tate, the office yeah, linebacker. And just fucking wipe him out. <laughs> it's just, you know, to me, it's just so disrespectful and, and just, it's a shit show. You know, you got guys going that know nothing about golf. They just want well, to be see, there to fucking This is my thing, too. You got these, and hey, I'm one of them. But like, I play golf. I grew up playing golf. But like, you got millennials that are. They're just going for something to do. They know nothing about the game. They maybe they played it a few times. They can't afford brand new clubs. They don't have a membership. They ain't paying for green fees. 
and they don't even want to play the game anyways. They just want to go and get drunk with their friends and, and hang out on the golf course. Thirteen dollar beers. Yeah, yeah, which is great, but like at the same time, are you are you going to be the next guy to play golf? Like, are you going to take over that membership for that person? Are you going to support the clubhouse? Like, yeah, and like that's why like this past year, like I thought it was really good for the tour in the sense with like guys like Colin Morikawa and Matthew Wolf, like Matthew Wolf especially, that may actually teach like millennials to go. Hey man, you don't need to look like Tiger Woods. You can kind of look a little goofy out there and make some money. Like That's right. you should get out and try this. Like you look at I mean his coach, like George Genkis, who's I, I like Genkis. He's awesome. But like relatively speaking to other PGA tour coaches, he's a nut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like him. Which is Me why too. we I like him. him. I YouTube him lots. Yeah, I love he's him. Great. He's yeah. like a surfer dude. He, he just does. He shows up totally. in shorts, a flat brim, and a t-shirt, and you're like, "Yeah, that's what you need for this game right now." Like, yeah. people, yeah. I know guys. Like, I've met tons of guys in Sydney that were like, "Yeah, I always want to play golf. It's, it's too expensive. I don't have anybody to play with either." And I'm like, "It's not even that expensive. Just go out and try it at least, and see if you want to play. Like, you don't need to look good." Yeah. Put on a freaking t-shirt and a pair of shorts and pay your 30 bucks to play nine holes and see if it's any good. Yeah. Like guys just, they've completely shut it down. It just seems like it's really struggling in a way that it. Well, with, with and, and I'm not a huge Tiger Woods fan, but without him. Uh, I don't know where the, the game yeah, would be. Yeah, the game would be really, really difficult. I mean, when he came back, of course, it was, you know, new interest Mayhem. and everything else. And, but on the, on the fan base, I, you know, I don't know if, if play increased any, but. Yeah, it's 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 a struggling sport. There's no question of that. Um, and the amount of money six hundred and fifty dollar drivers. Yeah. yeah, that's insane. Wow. It's just sixteen hundred dollar like, set of irons. Huh? I don't well, even want to go down this too well, far. Well, what about three hundred and fifty dollars? Sixty four dollars for a dozen balls. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's all. Well, what, it's three hundred fifty dollars for a hockey stick now. For yeah, unless, unless you can find some of those Kirkland balls that are. Like yeah. mystical yeah. unicorns. They've stopped, they've stopped right? making them. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, they had to take. They had to recall them because they were like basically a pro V. Dan <laughs> Philpot has some. Really? At the queue, there is some in there, and I'm gonna steal those. This year. <laughs> oh. Those are legit. Those are pro Vs. Who, who's that guy that was making stuff in China? Bob Might have Dale. to call oh, him. Well, can, him. But, oh, well, back in the we day, we could still pro- probably find pro Vs out of. Alibaba, though. You know, when golf ball started to change, when they went to uh, a Serlin cover and, a, and a, a, a solid core, of course, Top Flight was the first one that came out with it. Uh, they made the, the, the number one found ball in golf. That's right. <laughs> Top Flight. Well, back then it was a big deal, though, because you had that golf ball and it, it, it went so much further. But they, Spalding made all the range balls. So you had uh, the double stripe range ball was actually a Top Flight that uh, didn't. Uh, meet the requirements of compression. It was a higher compression ball. And some of the young kids, I remember Broadmoor, caught on to that, and they were playing the ball. They were taking it and actually using that, playing with that golf ball. It went so much further, and it was a big deal. And, it, you know, it all became about distance, distance, yep. distance, distance. And still is. Uh, well, now it is. I mean, yeah, so many great golf courses are obsolete because of what's happened with the equipment. You know, you look at them. I mean, what they I have. I hate to the do? ball and gouge game. Sure. Yeah, look at look at uh, Augusta National. It. I mean, that golf course originally was what sixty five hundred yards. Well, now it's what is it seventy five hundred? Yeah. Tiger proof. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 all about you know how far you can hit it and think of all the golf parts of the golf course 
that are maintained that are never ever used for anything because the ball's gone 300 yards and all this here that you got to maintain like it's it's nothing but that's why I think like you saw a prime example this past week of the President's Cup and I know we spoke about this on Sunday I mean you speak about Augusta I mean that's another Alistair McKenzie design and that the quote is that Royal Melbourne was what Augusta wanted to be I mean you look at what they did there there's no rough so it runs out forever you have quote unquote you know difficult shots with easy lies how they mow everything around the greens like that now that is coming into play you hit that you hit that one hill and it's bounding this way or bounding that way right. north american golf needs to take like a page out of that and go this is what we need to do like you need to kill this bomb and gouge game it's too long the guys on tour have even said they're like well, i don't care if i'm in the rough yeah <laughs> i can still spin it just fine like these lines that they take it, it's gross yeah like man even as a guy that like i i consider myself a decent player not good like i used to be but like i look at these lines i'm like that's not realistic like yeah. and for you're anyone joining that. the game the, no you're not gonna you're starting to see that you know drivable par fours are, which totally. are fun mm-hmm. yeah. you know some of these three pars are not 240 anymore they're going back to 150 yeah. 160 which is the way it should be it's totally like every now and then give me 270 but like with a par three for the yeah. pga tour guys oh well, yes they can have it how about go to pebble beach and, and play the par three that's you know 100 yards i mean yeah about what that. a variety of scores there on, so, on something yeah. that's fairly simple straight ahead toward the water um but it's it's that that whole element but now you've got these golf courses that are building at 7200 to 75 who are they building them for? The average guy is yeah. short now. Goes out there and, and of course, they're not, having, not, they're not having fun. No, and it's no, way but, too difficult. But it's their ego. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we're, six we're, hours to play. And this we're is something that I've said before, like that I've, I preach and I love the fact that Australian golf does this. You go out and play as a public guy on a public golf course. You ain't playing the tips. You're playing the social tees yeah. and they force you to play that. You're damn right you should be playing that yeah. because it's fun. You make birdies and it's what you should be playing. Yeah. You, no. ch- I don't look. I'm good. I can honestly say that I don't want to go play the tips at the queue at seventy six oh five. Like that's not fun. No. Like it's horrendous. Hey, don't you have to keep your socks up to your knees in Australia and a lot of those golf courses too? Not where <laughs> I play, knickers. but you got to be like legit. I mean, yeah. it's I like it out there. Public golf courses, like hey, tucked in polos. Like I don't want to see you out here in a t shirt. Like yeah, perfect. Like back in the day, now it's uh, well, I can only see the tip of my dick hanging out of my gym shorts, <laughs> so yeah. it isn't it isn't that big a deal. But uh, it's not Jesus. that big of a dick either. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like I just find it very fascinating looking at the game today, and it's just. It's comical compared to even the time since I left Belvedere. Like, that wasn't even that long ago. Yeah. And it just seems like it's gone. Whoop, and it's Dif- out different, to lunch. Different. Yeah, different. It's a changed game. game. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, what I do need to ask before you guys leave, and we don't need to name names. You can name that off air. I need, like, one good story out of each of you. Like, the wildest member stories out of Belv. Like... <laughs> There's got to be some, like, good dirt there, like, something good. I know you probably have a hundred on the tip of your yeah. tongue, but... Well, I can I can tell you a story. I'm playing... Uh, back then, when you played interclub, of course, the, the club champion, the next year would be the golf professional's partner in interclub. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've got this member, and uh, we go out to Windermere, and it's in the spring, 
and he's wearing long underwear, like a one-piece long underwear. And we come through the front nine, and now it's warmed up. Well, now he peels this off, and so he's taken his clothes off, and he's put this, his clothes back on, and we get to hole number 11. And 11 at Windermere is a, is a long, sweeping par five, and you go way around in that. Well, Along the river, beautiful yeah, hole. He's, he's never been there. So he starts walking down the fairway to look to see where the, the hole goes. And he's out about 300 yards, and he runs around, and he yells at me. He goes, what kind of a fucking hole is this? <laughs> And we've got two members from the club there, and uh, this this guy was infamous. Was that for, Jess? Oh yeah, he he would come up with these lines. I could train a chimp to hit that fucking shot. <laughs> yeah, if I hit another shot like that, I'm gonna mind fuck myself. <laughs> oh, my oh, this God. guy was unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, Harper. Yeah, we had a few complaints of him oh, over the right. years yeah. from other members. <laughs> From holes over hearing that. Well, he screamed it. He would scream it. Yeah. Do I know this member? No. No. no before was, my he time. Was, yeah. yeah. He was. Don't be triangulating there. No, I just wanted uh, to see if I knew. He was done around ninety-five. He was done. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead with your divorced. Right. Took Twice away divorced. the membership. All right, Al. I know you have some in there. I've heard them, but <laughs> there's always something. No names. No names. I don't. I don't know. I can't think of anything that's. Uh, I like the story about Gary though. Gary, uh, he tells me the story. He wakes up, looks at his alarm clock. It's eight thirty. Fuck! I slept in. <laughs> so he jumps in the shower, scrubs everything up, puts the pink polyester Hogan slacks on from nineteen seventy nine. Get the matching foot joy saddle shoe on <laughs> throws the sweater on opens the door jumps out it's fucking january 15th <laughs> three feet of snow on the ground his oh. mind's racing that you know Holy that's the golf is that was the golf yeah, yeah he thought he had slept in he had to go to work and it's fucking the january. shop i'm thinking it's oh i'm done and as, I, as I, no I, one's open as i jump off the step and i'm in the air i'm looking at the ground and there's about three feet of snow i went <laughs> shit <laughs> then i went yeah 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 <laughs> but yeah so it gets so it was so ingrained so ingrained oh uh, i mean it does like you're right like I mean, even to this day like early mornings you're like yeah yeah i'm ready for that i'm used to this this is fine like we've been through the trenches like it's fine with me God, tell them about some... tell them about the uh, your your backshot kid wanting to hit a few drives off the oh, putting green nice. up to number one. So yeah, this goes back to we had the upper parking lot, lower parking lot at, at Belvedere, and the, the putting green was kind of where it is now, but it was a big saddle in there. And oh, so standing on, on the very end of that, where the well, I guess where the cart path comes down the hill. Mm-hmm. So, but it was elevated. So. Waiting for a few members to come in. Yeah, it was, you don't want to close the shop up. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's getting you know dusky and everything, and, and he's working in the back shop. And so I've taken out some balls and I'm hitting them up the first fairway. You know, pew, hitting them up there. <laughs> and he says, "Hey, can I hit one?" And I look in the lower parking lot, and way over, as far left as you can go. Uh, is a car parked all by itself. You couldn't have taken a rifle in the lower sh- parking and, and yeah. shot this. There's no way you down couldn't by the right beside the it, oh, down by the ground screw. Yeah. Wow, that far that, left. That far left. 
almost well it would have been in line with the uh 12th green or, yeah or, well, yeah, Close 12th. To yeah yeah so over there way over there and i look at the car and i said yeah go ahead ross he stands up and he takes a swing and he cold heels it and this ball goes straight up in the, and i'm watching this thing going his first golf swing holy fuck right in the middle of the windshield <laughs> wow <laughs> takes the windshield right out it was a 1968 beaumont long to a guy named henry bogue and him and his wife come off the golf course and they're seniors and i go down to the parking lot right away i said listen the mm -hmm. accident we had said I'm, i gave him my car i said i'm going to take it in i'll get a brand new windshield put in you come oh that's yeah okay well that's very good of you but the chances of you couldn't have done it like i said you couldn't have taken a rifle and hit that fucking car <laughs> from where we were and he takes the windshield out and i said <laughs> oh, that is like straight side oh it was and but up in the air high arcing <laughs> the, the one that topped that story was he had a member named keith hogan the guy got a brand yep. new jaguar brand new jet black and he brings it to the club and he's showing us and this thing is spectacular and he threw a shotgun in the car just for shits and giggles because he was going to go for a drive out to Tofield just take the car new car for a run so he says he takes it out there and he goes down and there's a gravel road he says well I just kind of pull off but i only go down to where the gravel kind of starts and i thought i'll just take the shotgun out it's a nice day and i'll go for a little walk and takes it and there's a little bit of a pothole there so he gets the shotgun and he's walking and be god down to this duck doesn't come out of there and he <laughs> This duck comes straight down like a kamikaze, right into the windshield. $850 windshield. Whoa. Yeah. Jag. Yeah. Oh, Hoagie, Hoagie could afford it back. Oh, Christ. Yeah, that's fine. What are the odds, eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's destiny sometimes. Yeah. That's Dude. unbelievable. I remember one story. You want a, you want a story? Go on. I'm working for G-Man. Got the clothes open. The infamous clothing. Yeah, it's July. Get out of there around 11 o'clock at night. Got to be back there for 6. Pull in around 5.30. The cops are there. What the fuck? You know, it's still dark. Did I not lock up right? What, what's going on? Yeah. Well, we, we, we had been broken into. They threw, they broke the glass to get into the pro shop. And back then... There was a lot of cash, a lot of green mm -hmm. fees. Well, they ended up finding that money because we always hid that money yeah. in, 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 the, in the pro shop. We had a spot to hide that. They didn't take anything. They didn't take any pings. We had Hugo Boss clothing back then. We had good shit. Never, told, never stole any product. They were after Just cash. Just the cash. Yeah. So they found the green fees from the night before. They go upstairs. Back then, we had no alarm system. Mm-hmm. So we're out in the country with no alarm. They find the safe upstairs. So, but they also see Geary's 30-06 shotgun and a 22. Oh, no, yeah, 12-gauge shotgun. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they go grab that, take it upstairs. There's a bottle of Jack Daniels. There's some wine. These guys are drinking fucking cocktails, thinking, <laughs> how are we going to get into this safe? So they go down and grab Geary's guns, stick them through the the door of the office in the hallway, wow. boom, 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 shot of shrapnel. We find all kinds of shrapnel and shit. They, they couldn't get in. Yeah, that's, that's back when we sold smokes. They took all the cigarettes, 
grabbed a cart, loaded it up with about 18 cases of beer. <laughs> Their getaway cars on Ellerslie Road. And about every 10 yards, we found a case of beer <laughs> falling off this cart. Never did find the bastards, did we? No, no I don't think I don't think, think the cops ever, ever did catch up to them. No. Unbelievable. That was scary, though. That is. That scared well, the shit out of me. Well, can, can you imagine a 12-gauge shotgun in a confined space like that, how loud that oh. is? And, they're, and, they're, and you're shooting a, a, a solid safe, like, and Jesus. If they'd have kept shooting, they'd have probably got into it because they put some pretty good gouges in that thing. But, yeah, I'm just imagining. Oh, get into that man, room. Oh, man. We got broke into, uh, well, a few times. Uh, the one time they, they, these guys, I don't know what they had in, in their head. They had yellow paint, and they, they wrote Screaming Eagles on the steps. Oh, yeah. And then they drew this. It was an airborne thing, you know, the Screaming Eagles were part of the Canadian Airborne Regiment. And uh, so they they painted the wheels on the on the driving range thing, and they painted the stairs and the screaming eagles. So the Mountie comes in and he da 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 da, bright yellow paint. So he goes over to the subdivision where Crucial Niski lived over in the Belvedere Belvedere Heights. Yeah, and he goes through there and he's so he's knocking on the doors, talking to people. He knocks on the door. A woman opens the door, uh, and he looks in and he can see yellow running shoes they're yellow he said uh is your son home oh yeah he's a matter of fact so uh, ricky so he comes down the stairs and he's wearing he wasn't a johnny he was a ricky <laughs> he's wearing a screaming eagles uh insignia on his shirt and the cop said son you're under arrest <laughs> <laughs> and these guys they had gone there and they broke in and all this so the judge gave them uh community service and fines and they didn't do either and that was fine. The way it went, nothing, nothing ever happened. Yeah, but I think there's always been a few wild things going on at Bell, though. To be fair, I mean, even my time out there, mm. you're like, mm, we kind of know what's happening here. We know who that is, but you know, we'll just let it continue because we're out in the country a little oh, bit here. Yeah. Like, well, there was lots of shit happened out there. I at one time I gave the RCMP a key to the gate and a key to the swimming pool. Said, so listen, you know, the guys after shift, if they want to go and turn the light on and the pool, you know, the pool's heated. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess they went out there quite a bit and they partied. But what a great thing. You got the cops going in and out of there. Mm-hmm. And we never had any trouble for those years. Yeah. But they, I guess they had a couple of wild parties out there and stuff <laughs> at three in the morning. But yeah, quite a deal. Unbelievable. But guys, like, I just want to say thank you very much for allowing us to have the time with you guys. Um, this has been an absolute treat and kind of like a, I feel like I was like back in the shop, to be honest, like <laughs> hearing all these stories again. Like, it's oh. just unbelievable. Um, we honestly like we want to like have you guys on again. We'd love to chat with like maybe some tour talk. I guess actually like because this is a golf podcast. We, we did talk about a lot of golf, but one day we will do that with you guys. But until then, we just want the stories to keep flowing. And yeah, I know you'll have more yeah. more more uh, Norman stories next time, and we'll keep it going from there. Yeah, there's well, and a lot of stuff happens in a career. You know, spending I got to spend time with George Newson, probably one of the finest Canadians to you know ever play and. uh we had some really talented guys here, but uh, hey, you know what? It was it was definitely an experience, and mm-hmm. there's lots of adventures to have in life, and you know you try to have as many as you can. Yeah, and it's nice to sit back and listen to your stories and just kind of absorb that. Like, I think anyone who listens to this is going to get a real taste of Mo Norman. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think the old school like way it. of, of yeah. golf. Do yourself a favor, folks. Uh, go on YouTube and, and just put in Mo Norman because it's it was something to see. Well, there's was, talk of a movie, so I'm I'm hoping that happens. Yeah. That would be incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris, love that. 
Guys, Big Al, thanks Jared. so much for having us. Thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah, we really pleasure. appreciate it. It was a privilege. It was a privilege to spend time with you and, and you know talk about something that we loved and that we uh, you know we we just loved doing it and we'd probably do it all over again for the same amount of money because we're not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're all sitting here talking about it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks again to Big Al and Gary Meyer, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Peace. Cheers. Hello, 4Jack Podcast fam. It's your boy at Derv Nation, and thank you for listening to the 4Jack Podcast. It would mean the absolute world to us if you could go hit that subscribe button and leave us a lovely five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. You know what? Because that would really make our day. Thank you, and let's keep on golfing, baby. I kind of like that last one. Okay. Then we're good. Got it.